Actors, we've all got issues, so let's talk about them. I'm your host, Juaniala, and this is Actors with Issues. Hello, ladies, gents, and non-binary friends. Welcome to another episode of Actors with Issues, where we talk shop with guests from TV, film, and Broadway. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to say a quick thank you, as this is our 200th episode of our flagship podcast, Actors with Issues. Thank you to the thousands of listeners and viewers who have supported the show over these past three and a half years. Really means the world to me, so an immense thank you to you all. And joining us for this 200th episode is an actor who has appeared in nearly 50 episodes of television, worked with film directors like Todd Phillips, Martin Scorsese, and Ray Romano. Please welcome to the stage, dear friend, James Saccone. James, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's quite an honor. And on the, the 200th episode, I've been yeah. following what you've been doing for a while now, and it's good stuff. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having thank you, me. Thank you. Uh, so born and raised right here in New York City, you got started very young. You attended uh, the LaGuardia High School, the Fame School, as it is now yeah. known, and uh, eventually studied at HP Studio with Uta Hagen, uh, who is obviously a legend in her own right. So during those early years, were there any actors whose careers you uh, looked at and aspired to be like? Well, it's it's, it's interesting to say that. Um, I, I went to performing arts for music. I was a musician. I was about 10 years old and I had uh, went to a place which was called Brighton Beach Bats in Brooklyn and they had a concert. It was a fellow by the name of Lionel Hampton who performed. Lionel Hampton was a tremendous jazz musician, xylophonist. Uh, he played percussion keyboards. He was, he was a legend back in the, uh, I would say, the 40s, 50s, 60s. This was probably the late 60s or early 70s, probably early 70s when I had I was exposed to him and it, and it blew me away. And I snuck into his dressing room and got an autograph from him and, and music had inspired me. Uh, and then I started playing the trumpet. Mm-hmm. And um, I started playing the trumpet right about then in like fifth grade, sixth grade. Uh, and, and I was pretty good at it and I was dedicated and committed. And I wanted couple of scholarships to go away to summer camp for music. And then eventually I found myself at Performing Arts High School, which at the time they had th- they had three disciplines. It was either music, uh, dance, or drama. And the way that school worked was all of your classes, with the exception of like three academics, were either whatever your discipline was, if it was acting, mm-hmm. dance, or music. Mine was music at the time. But I started then going down with a couple of the actors in the school uh, I would go down to HB Studio where, where Uta Hagen was teaching back then. It was a long time ago. Uh, so my influences were, were really music at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was there was an actor who um, <laughs> who had gone to the school. There were a couple of famous actors there when I was there. Danny Bernstein was there. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of uh, Issa Morales, which you guys know for Issa's been in. He was just in the new Mission Impossible and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, a ton of stuff. Uh, he was there when I was there. Um, but people who had gone there before, they had, you know, was largely spoken about in the hallways between periods, like um, Liza Minnelli had gone there. And of course, Al Pacino had gone there. But Al had dropped out. So the big, you know, the big talk and the big, you know, misconception was, hey, well, you know, if Al can drop out of high school and make it, so can I, right? So so I left performing arts. And then I actually, obviously went back and filled that void and then uh, went on and went to college and got a couple of graduate degrees in that. But uh, yeah, so Al was always a, uh, just going to that school, you know, it was just, you know, everybody spoke of, of Pacino, Pacino, but nowadays later on as, as actually being an actor, 
and going back and taking a stab at it professionally in, in my adult years, like in my 40s is when I kind of revisited um, what is it I really want to do in life. Uh, that sort of thing that a lot of us go through. Uh, I feel like I should be doing something different. And I wanted to go back and, you know, revisit the arts, which I kind of abandoned uh, after high school, kind of faded out to me, uh, which I did. But, you know, Pacino is uh, like if, if you ever look at any of the the talks with Charlie Rose or I mean, he's just just magical to listen to him and his interpretation of stuff. Uh, so Pacino is definitely one of the great uh, actors who inf influenced me and also as an Italian American, uh, De Niro, Robert De Niro who uh, I had looked up to very young and uh, lo loved his work as an actor and that he played a lot of mob roles and some, some of the greatest stuff, of course, The Godfather and uh, Cape Fear, some interesting roles. And, uh, you know, full circle, I got to work with De Niro. Um, uh, I, I'm in three films with him, but I actually got to work with him on a movie, which I shot this last year, directed by Barry Levinson, mm -hmm. which is called Wise Guys, but they just changed the name to... Um, to uh, Alto Nights. And this is actually the vision board. So when I was auditioning for it, which you may know or may not know that a lot of times these big films, like I was in The Irishman, I got to work opposite Pesci. I didn't get to work opposite De Niro and that. But a lot of those films is kind of like everybody reads the same part. And then they kind of decide, you know, who's going to get this little part, who's going to get that little part, because most of the bigger parts are, are promised out. So when this opportunity came to me to read for this part, I figured it was the same spiel, you know, it's like, yeah, everybody reads for this. And then they're like, yeah, hold the dates. And then you get like, right. you know, monster number two or heavy number three, that sort of thing. Yeah. But they kept coming back and they kept, and then finally one day they say, Hey, you know, is he available to come in next Friday to do a chemistry read? And my like, chemistry read, well, who, who would I be chemistry reading with? It would have to be De Niro because he's the one who's, you know, chemistry read is generally when you, when you read opposite the actor who's already cast. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I did have the, the beautiful opportunity to go in and do about 25 minutes of scene work with him. And I was up for number five on the call sheet. And, uh, and then they had me go in again and again, and then I went in with him and then they had me read for, he need, he's playing two characters and he needs a rehearsal partner. So I went in like kind of auditioned for that part, read four scenes with him. Uh, so that probably my acting credit was the best thing was just to go in and do scene work with him, with Barry Levinson there and the casting director. Uh, and I wound up not getting the number five on the call sheet part, but I wound up getting a significant part uh, where I worked uh, playing Carlo Gambino in that, who's um, a true mob character in that film. Uh, but so I was wondering who got number five on the call sheet. And he actually cast a childhood friend of his who wasn't an actor. So oh, wow. uh, yeah, yeah, you can't... Uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. They can't be upstaged by that, right? So, yeah, so that's um, some of the some of the heroes. I actually still have the vision board here, so I can show it quickly, of yeah. um, when I was rehearsing for that, there was all of the, um, these are the mob characters I read for that Sam Jackson on the front, that's for a different yeah, piece, yeah. De Niro and the characters. So when I, when I, um, you know, when I rehearse and stuff, particularly with that, I just try and get connected to the actors. And there was some, there was a lot of real uh, characters mentioned in in the scenes. So I wanted to know who these real characters were. And so I had researched all of the characters who were, who were mentioned and uh, try to learn as much as I can about them and their, their, their history and their time and their experiences and all their ages and stuff. And I was um, 
all of the actors who were kind of cast, all the actors who were mentioned were all in their 50s. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and De Niro, as we know now, is 80. So they kind of aged the movie up. And, and indeed, people back then looked older. Like people today at 50 look young. People at 60 look young. Whereas right. years ago, people seemed to look older at, the, at those ages. So um, they kind of aged the movie up a little bit. But a tremendous opportunity to do that work. And to uh, we shot it in Ohio. I went back and forth. Uh, about six times back and forth to Ohio to work, oh. to work on that. So it was, it was a pretty good experience. And that was supposed to come out in February, but they just moved the date back. So we'll see on that. Um, yeah. Any event. Go ahead. Well, I know you, I'm, you, I'm talking more than you. It's your show. You're supposed to be talking. Go ahead. But you're the guest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, with um, moving the dates and such, uh, of course, there's still the ongoing, you know, SAG after strike and, and prior to that was the WGA strike and all of that. So what would you say has been a, a pretty key takeaway during the strike and having this time to sort of ruminate and yeah, all that? that's a good question. I mean, um, you know, as you know, I have an acting school and I teach actors and I, I get a lot of actors on TV. Uh, a lot of people have, I mean, I saw this as an opportunity to, uh, to get better to do more work harder. I mean, before this, we had COVID. And uh, it's interesting, everything I ever booked was from going in into a room. I'm, a, I'm an East Coast actor, I'm you know from New York. And so it was always, you go in, the casting director, you get a call back with the producer or the creators. Like that's how I booked Joker. I went in, had a call back with Todd Phillips. And uh, yeah, you know, that that's how it works. Um, but once COVID happened, like I knew, because I know other markets like Atlanta was almost exclusively self-tape and, uh, you know, LA was kind of a mix. Uh, but, I, but I knew we were going to, I just felt made common sense that we were going to go into a self-tape world. So I said, I got to get really good at self-taping. So I, I like just threw myself into the whole lot of everything from storytelling within the frame, camera movement, lighting, equipment, camera height, all, all these things. I just got obsessed with it. Anyway, I think I booked 13 things since COVID, from t all from tape. Yeah. The, the De Niro movie was actually face-to-face -face in, in, that, in that regard with the callback. But the initial audition was, was a tape. Um, yeah. So now with, with the strike, it's like, well, how, how can I take this time and, and you know, just work harder, get better? I wrote a, a, a film. Uh, it's, a, it's a pilot, uh, which we're shooting next week. Uh, you know, so I had no time. I had the funding for it. And um, using most of the actors from the class, a couple of people outside of the class, mm -hmm. but I'm excited to do that again. You know, and it's funny because, as you mentioned earlier, I'd worked with Ray Romano in his directorial debut on a film called Somewhere in Queens, and he wrote that during COVID. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you take these opportunities, you know, to make lemonade out of the lemons, I guess you can say. Uh, it's been difficult for for a lot of actors to stay motivated when there, there's no auditions coming in, there's nothing yeah. going on, uh, and and I see a lot of people had kind of uh, shied away or not as active as they should be or, or they, they would like them to be. I was fortunate to do uh, an interim agreement uh, pilot that was approved right before, uh, right right after the strike happened. We wanted the first ones to get approved on that project. And and before that, I was I have a contract that uh, they're doing a, a film about Bob Dylan, Timothy Chalamet's the lead, and you know and I had the contract, and then the strike happened. So that's kind of yeah. like, you know, I'm still their guy, but we're waiting, you know. Yeah. So 
you know, it's a, it, it's a tough one. And I think there's a lot of mixed feelings with, um, with the actors, with this and with the union. I, I have my own feelings about, uh, you, you know, we're, we're taking to the picket lines. I've been on the picket lines. We want more, we want better. But uh, we just always hope that the union has the actors back and then they have our best interest. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, right when COVID happened, they had cut medical, uh, the tier two medical threshold, they just eliminated it. So a lot of like background actors or smaller actors would make 17,000 a year or more, would be able to get uh, their medical. I do get my medical through the union. I've, I've had it consistently for the last six years. But when you get slowdowns like this, you have to worry you're going to make your threshold, you know, your earnings threshold. It's like it's, it's a little under 27,000 right now. But when they had that second tier, um, they just eliminated it. And a lot of the actors suffered um, because they lost their medical and, and some other things that they changed, which weren't very uh, actor friendly. So I just hope that with this strike, I understand we're, we're fighting for wages and residuals and AI. Uh, but I just hope it's really, really has the the actors at the forefront uh that's that's a concern with, with a lot of folks so we just hope yeah. that that's what the results would be yeah absolutely it, it's been really interesting reading so much you know as, as you know my sort of a day job is as a journalist and i'm sort of the sole entertainment or one of the few entertainment sort of uh reporters that we have so reading up on it writing about the strike and and speaking with folks about it has been really interesting sort of getting that uh getting that knowledge and that background on what it is exactly that has been sort of causing the stalemate that we've had and where they're budging, where they're not budging. And it's, it's been, you know, of course, like everyone else, it's incredibly frustrating, but it's like, okay, we'll hold out as long as we have to. But uh, like you said, sort of just making sure that. Well, well one of the things which I'm, I'm sure you saw was that, you know, the union wanted a dollar per subscriber from Netflix, but there's no indication of how any of that money gets is helping the actor. So, you know, is it a trade-off for what they're not, the actors aren't going to get, but the union will take that. Like I just, you know, I don't know. Um, it, it should be about what the union is going to get. Now I will say this, um, residuals are a very big part of an actor, any working actors, um, you know, base, uh, as one yeah. said, I've been on TV over 50 times or whatever it is, the films and that, so how it works for those of you who don't know is, you know, the network TV would generally would pay the most in terms of residual. And, uh, well, let me backstep that, uh, studio films would, would always come in with the most, the most lucrative residuals. Like pull, pull a few out for you to show you, um, you know, Joker the first year it made, it made like, I made a billion dollars and I, I made like 50,000 residuals. Wow. So, if if an actor does uh, you know fifty things now that's an exception it's not you know it's not the norm, right. but if an actor does fifty things and he is making a thousand dollars on each project throughout the course of the year the three hundred sixty five days maybe he gets twenty dollars or he gets fifty dollars and he gets a six hundred dollar check and he gets a two dollar check and, he, and so if you can make a thousand dollars on each job you book if you book you know had booked fifty gigs you can make fifty thousand in residuals. You can afford to continue to be a starving actor. Now, $50,000 a year is not a lot of money in today's society, but uh, it can allow you to continue to, to be an artist. And, and one of the problems I look at, so the interesting thing is the same year I did Joker, I did The Irishman, and Irishman was a film made for Netflix. 
and it was like a one-time payout residual of $500. Yeah. And so if you, if you, if I add up what I've made on Joker, because it was a studio film or another film I did, which was called the kitchen with Melissa McCarthy, and Tiffany Haddish, those studio films, um, they be, it's because of the ancillary markets, right? So they, they show them overseas, DVD, pay TV, uh, you know, aside from the theater, um, they're not just going on a streaming service and, and that's it. It's like, you know, you paid your subscription, so you're entitled to it. It's like every time it's shown, there's a little crumb for the actor, which adds up. So uh, that whatever price structure it is, whatever formula it is, I mean, I only know it from the printout I get from SAG that shows me that, hey, this is a lot of money for this project and this project doesn't pay anything. Right. Uh, so those streaming, which is where all of the real interesting content is and nothing to take away from, um, you know, the network uh, animal, so to speak, the network TV, but with the commercials and that, it's sort of the uh, the cookie cutter, you know, the law and order is the NCIS, those procedurals. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people have cut the cord and they don't, they're not paying yeah. for the cable company anymore. They just have the, the streaming and you can get a lot of that stuff, but, you know, a little bit of you know, delayed, but, you know, you can get access to all that stuff. And there's so much more interesting, mature adult content or, or whatever you want to call it um, that's on these these streaming platforms. I pretty much, I still do have the network stuff. I'm ready to cut it, but I almost exclusively just hit Alexa and say, find this or play this. Yeah. Um, so that's really where the content is. And it's a shame that the actor really doesn't benefit. And, and the other flip side of that, which I see a lot of people say, oh, we need to get the celebrities out there. And well, most of those celebrities are producers on that. Just look at the, yeah. look at the credits. Because, you know, why would a guy like Scorsese go on a streaming thing? You know, it's, it's he's not working for free. It's about money. They made him a great deal. Netflix has big money. Apple TV mm -hmm. has big money. You know, so they're getting these big name actors who never did television before. Um, Right. You know, De Niro never did television. He's got his first um, television series now. Um, oh, what the hell's the name of it again? Um, oh, one, one may act. This is Suzanne Shields casting it. Um, Zero Day, it's called. It's about like a, it's about a fictitious president. Um, so you know, when you get actors like Robert De Niro doing television, uh, you know, there's a reason. Yeah. You know, that's where the money is and that's where the, the audience base is and, and yeah, and they're all doing them, you know, Pacino's done them and, and so on and so forth. Denzel, uh, you know, Forrest Whitaker, they're all, they're all doing it. Viola Davis, they're all doing these streaming things because that's where the big money is, but they're giving them, uh, you know, producer billing, which comes with, I'm sure, a bigger deal. Yeah. So. You know, yeah. so as far as getting the celebrity out there in the picket lines, a lot of those celebrities, um, probably benefit more when the actor makes less yeah yeah unfortunately that is very much the reality you know it's um seeing certain you know a-listers and different series like i was very surprised when they announced you know meryl streep would be in only murders in the building i was like right. really she's doing this like you know sort of quirky murder mystery you know dramedy it was very surprising but you know again i'm sure it was a great deal that you know she got and for good reason she's an incredible talent obviously yeah. she's but um yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. So, but the, the thing is, she is an in, in, incredible talent. Absolutely. And people love to watch her. Her performances are always amazing. But it's kind of like this is an actor who always stays current. 
you know, so, some actors, they they had their time and, and they kind of fizzle out, but she's always managed to be, you know, at, at the forefront. So yeah. she could kind of write her own ticket. She can pick what project she wants to work on. Yeah, That's the other thing. It's not like there's no opportunities for her and right. she's choosing streaming. So, uh, yeah, different story there. And, you know, and besides streaming and sort of that whole model coming to fruition within the last, what, 10 to 15 years, probably, uh, what else would you say has been like a, a pretty major change you've noticed in the entertainment industry? We talked about self-tapes and streaming. I'm curious what else. Yeah, I, I would think I would think the way by, by which we audition. Um, I, I would say I would say the Internet. Uh, so even even regardless of the streaming. I just think like, you know, when I started, like I didn't start a zillion years ago, you know, I'm, I'm probably acting professionally for 15 years. But when I started, there was still like people would, I remember agent, I, I went to this one agent uh, and it was like boxes and boxes of headshots. And there was some kid there filing uh, the whole walls of headshots. Like that's how they did it. You know, they would fax over or messengers would bring over the breakdowns uh, and things like that. And it was always a hard copy headshot you know that you um you know went into an audition with and handed off and then there was a point when they didn't want to take them anymore because they had them on you know the actors access platform you know everything is there the information is there so why why collect the paper i would always leave them anyway i would just leave it there and then perform and walk out and sometimes because i just want them to see it i have a good resume you know so yeah 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 you know but um <laughs> That, that that the way by which we auditioned the resume the the whole the whole way technology has changed the process mm -hmm. right so and it's not only the self-tape it's like you know the actors access pl platform they have their own virtual audition so right. so generally we audition three ways right we audition through self-tape we audition virtually let's call it a zoom or whatever platform it is it's a virtual audition and then we have the in-person so those are pretty much the three ways we, we audition now, which that was never really the way. And there were, um, I remember uh, speaking with uh, Kathleen Chopin from, from Bull when, when COVID had happened and she was still casting, uh, when she was casting the show Bull at the time, she was just casting people like who she knew, because you know, based off reputation, yeah. even for like the smaller roles, actors she had either called in before, but because a lot of these old school casting directors like John Levy and that they're, you know, they want to, they want the actor in the room. They want they want to communicate with a person. Like they're not so hip on this self tape thing. It's yeah. just, it's just different. Like the good, in my opinion, the good casting directors are more concerned with, with the humanity of the individual and not yeah. so much the acting. Yeah. They want, they want a person. They want to know who the person is. Um, you know, when I, when I, speak with John Levy. I'm actually a little friendly with him. One for him. He's as a casting director. And I first met him. He was more interested to know about me. Where am I from? What, right. what, what am I, you know, that's what good casting directors want to know. Um, so as a, a note for, or a takeaway for all actors. Um, yeah. You know, um, be, be yourself, show, show who you are. Don't, mm -hmm. don't think like, Oh, what do I think they want on this page? Uh, right. because they might not know what they want. Don't try to do what you think they want. They, they, if you're right for a part, you're right for a part. So show you, you're, you're your best asset. You're always your best asset. Show, show who you are, the best version of yourself. That's, that's my philosophy. That's yeah. worked pretty well for me. 
Yeah, I feel like that veil has sort of been lifted a bit in the last couple of years, especially, uh, you know, during the strikes, of course, they've been interviewing lots of casting directors and, and actors and whatnot about the whole casting process and self tapes and everything. And, you know, people continuously say that they, they miss going in the room. And, uh, you know, but of course, it's that's when you're invited in the room. But actors who are sort of like me, who were only doing tapes or for co-stars, how much humanity can you show when your line is, here's your check? You know, well, and... exactly. The way you book those is it's actually so here's his kind of I call them occupations. Right. I mean, there are times when we, but so pretty much you're supposed to be invisible. But what does that mean? OK, so here's a, uh, you know, surrounded by script. Right. This is 60 page script. Uh, let's say uh, episode of uh, episodic TV, 45 page script, right, 45 minutes of of airtime. It's about the series regular and maybe the top of show guest star. Who's who's running, moving the story forward, and here you come in, and you know it's like, uh, was that sparkling of flat water? Um, you know, you, you have you're supposed to be invisible to that story. You know, you're you're not, you're supposed to you're just a kind of almost like a prop with a couple of lines, unfortunately. So the way you book those is by really doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. I know actors are like you know they they're trained for years, five years, ten years, and they learn all this stuff in acting school. Where is my spine? What is my moment before? <laughs> what am I fighting for? And it's like, here's your water. Uh, you know, so the whole, the acting school said so when you get those occupation co-stars, like that doesn't apply. You know, that stuff really applies more for the guest star arcs and, and bigger roles that, that you're developing. Uh, so just kind of separate separate that and then of course the series regular is always the big question of you know see we're in a visual medium a lot of people don't realize that like you have to be interesting for the screen you know i i work all the time because you know i'm just i'm a new york guy right i'm just so i am i can't hide it uh there are a lot of people who tell me i should pay the money to learn how to lose my accent but every casting <laughs> director tells me no that's why you work you know because right. I'm, I'm, way I'm, I'm like i can't be anybody else right um, and it, we're in a visual medium, so you have to be interesting for the screen, right? You know, we, who we want to watch on TV. It's not, it's not who do we want to, you know, hear say words. So it's, you know, who you are as, as a visual medium. That's really what it is. And that's why booking the series regular, I mean, I mean, the greatest tool that an actor needs to have in their tool shed is, is luck. I mean, there's no if ends or buts luck will is you know what you want as if you have one thing as an actor it's luck because it could just go to the guy to the right to the left or to the friend like what happened to me in this movie right yeah. um you know that's just what it is so it, i mean some people get lucky and and rob decina who's a, a dear friend of mine an acting mentor he's vice president of casting for cbs in his book the art of auditioning how, how do you um that's behind me all right anyway he he says there's three types of actors. He says we could say there's three types of actors. There's some who are extremely talented, brilliant. They don't have to do much, like they just just have this gift. There are others who have to work really, really hard to be good. And there are some who just, you know, have like you know, two left feet, you know, or they can't catch a ball. Like they're just not talented at all. He says, but it's 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 not likely that only those from category A will have careers at this. It's more likely that some from A, some from B, and some from C will have careers. So that's the luck factor, you know. So that's that's how it goes. But you have to keep keep being prepared and keep, keep being present. Um, you know, you're not gonna 
you're not going to get on a TV show unless you put your name in the hat. Uh, you know, right. I remember I had booked five co-stars without any representation because I kept getting in front of uh, the people who could call you in for an audition. I mean, that that's what I did. That's what worked for me. And then I had a little resume and I, I was never cut out of a scene, even though they were small, they were three lines and four lines and two lines and two days. Um, you know, and I was able to get representation from there and uh, worked harder. And, 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 you know, look, I started with those superintendent, cop number two type thing, you know, and uh, a lot of people get stuck there. You know, they can't get out of co-star jail. Um, but, you know, little by little, I kept pushing. And relationships are really important. I mean, this is a business based right. on relationship. Look, I don't have an uncle and, you know, as a, I don't have any relatives in this business. I had to make relationships along the way. I kept getting in front of people. And uh, the Boston Strangler I did last year with Kyrie Knightley, uh, the director, I had worked with him on a Sundance film five, six years ago. Felt one wanted him going up for grand jury. Uh so, so, you know, and then you keep in touch with people and sometimes, and he, he wrote that part for me. So, yeah, yeah that's, it's, re, it's a relationship-based business, but, uh, you know, punish your relationships, value them and, and, you know, treat them with the importance they deserve, the professional relationships, you know, nurture them and, and maintain them. They're important. Yeah. Well, James, I do know you have to run. So I just want to say thank you so, so much for, wealth of knowledge you're always willing to share and um for anyone interested in learning more about actors axiom uh, show up to book the role where can they find more information yeah thank you one yeah so anybody can just uh, either find me on facebook or go to show up to book the role.com and uh, you can just ask about our classes we teach i teach zoom monday wednesday uh and saturday and in person thursday in new york city and we have other agents managers and casting directors who come in and support the community uh, we're a community. I like to think of it as a community, uh, not so much as like a acting school or, act, or acting teacher. We're all actors and we all have the same like-minded vision, uh, you know, to book work. So, yeah. And it's a tremendous community. What you've done is really been great. I've, I've, you know, whenever I've sort of put my casting director hat on and, and done zoom readings of, of a friend's play or a pilot or a short film, always turn to, to that group and, and, you know, just such a great group of, like you said, like-minded artists who um, are putting in the work and, and want to move forward and are always grateful for an opportunity to read some new material and, and you know, shop a character like that. But um, yeah, again, thank you, James, so much for joining us today, for being our 200th guest. And to everyone listening, make sure you head over to our YouTube channel, subscribe for some of our exclusive content. We have bite-sized interviews and full episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts every Monday. Thanks for listening. I'm Juaniella. This is Actors with Issues. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Actors with Issues on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit our YouTube channel for full video interviews. Actors with Issues is executive produced and hosted by Juaniella. See you next time.